you're doing this podcast. <laughs> I'm doing this podcast, man. So I see how close that is. For, you can obviously bring that closer to you and just play oh, around wow. with it. Cool. There you go, buddy. Very, uh, love it. Love the setup. <laughs> oh, do I get the music? Yeah, sure. It's nice background stuff. Though. I know. I do, like it. do you have an intro and all that stuff? I for me I let just go hey this is Julian because I do an, I do an intro afterwards oh okay, I, I okay. do a rundown of like um on this po- episode of the podcast I have Julian Ho yes. I run down what we talk about because I like to because where this goes I don't know yeah right. <laughs> so I'd much rather know what we talk about and then jump into it afterwards and say this is the intro this is what we talk about right because I have right. no idea sometimes where it's gonna oh yeah yeah you spawn into right that's that's definitely how it's done yeah which I like. I think it's good for the listeners for them to be like, okay, do I want to listen to this or not? Well, absolutely, right? We might hint on something that, you know, is like completely off track of what you'd think, right? I had like uh-huh. an MMA fighter on Lindsay, and uh, again, we started talking, and she had a tough year. Her mom passed away, and just got into one of those things where we just started talking about her mom, and she you kind of got emotional and started crying, even but like that's not something I would have known beforehand. But she talked about how to like persevere and how to like build strength off of remembering her mom. Wow. So it was it was it was interesting, right? Just how to see that kind of grow organically from it, right? Yeah, so. I think that's really cool. That's like the off the cuff stuff is the most special. Oh stuff. man, this is great. It's just it's real at that point, right? Did you get the thing that I sent you? I gave you a little yes. list. list. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Just, just bring it up. So on the pot, lastly, and for me, like just bring up stuff too. Like I, I don't like I don't like the idea of just me being like a question guy to you. Oh, okay. Like conversation, right? Okay. You know that's kind of how, how I flow with it. But we'll, okay. <laughs> it always goes well, man. We always I'll always, pull it up then. We always have fun. All right. You want me to introduce you as? Um, Founder and creator of 2.0 Toronto. Yeah, and um, I guess um, founder and creator, founder, founder and director of 2.0 Toronto. Um, there's a lot of titles that I wear, so that's why it's interesting. Yeah. We'll just get it started then. Yeah. Sure. All right, guys. So welcome to the Fear Being Average podcast. I have Julian Ho, creator, founder, designer of 2.0 Toronto. And, and get, go give us a little bit more of your titles. We were just talking about this. There's too many to remember. Too many good things you're doing. Well, Brandon, thank you for having me here. Uh, in my own home. Yeah. It's a new, it's a new studio. Everyone, everyone thought I upgraded. <laughs> um, well, as a multi-potentialite, as someone who wears lots of hats, like you do as well, uh, it's hard to define who I am. And it's also very easy at the same time. So to communicate what I am versus what I do is a very important thing, a dividing line. But... Yes, uh, 2.0 Toronto um, is my baby, my brainchild. Uh, we can talk about that later. I also see myself as an integrative movement practitioner. That's also, uh, I guess you can say, a new age term for kinesiologist or personal trainer or group fitness instructor. Another hat that I wear is a holistic health coach. So coaching people, not necessarily on life, but lifestyle. And... Um, consultant I help with solving problems I consult corporations people small groups on what it is they can do with wellness it's super powerful I think a lot of people just need a little bit more education 
right? Mm-hmm. We, we all kind of know what like fitness nutrition is all about mm. and what mental wellness is all about, but it's the detachment of what does it really mean? Everyone knows on the broad scale what these things are and, the, and the, what you should be doing, mm-hmm. but to know the actual benefits and the features and how to approach it in the most appropriate manner, safest manner and healthiest manner is, is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Best practice. I think everyone has information, you know, right at the palms of their hands. Yeah. They can access all the right things to do and the wrong things to do. But what puts myself, yourself, or any coach or any person who's a teacher into a place of leadership is their ability to be a steward of this information, showing how, how you do it. Um, and that comes from personal experience. It comes from expertise and academics and research and study, but there's a sense of empathy. There's a sense of, let me feel what it feels like to be in your shoes. And I think there's a revolution required for that person who is a coach, instructor, teacher to really step into the shoes of someone else and share their information without imparting their own personal shortcomings or or full-on experiences because it's more about the questions than I think it is about the answers. When I strip it all away, I think what makes me special is being able to ask those questions because most people know the answers inside. It just takes courage and vulnerability to share it and then also put it into action. And so that's where the how comes into play. Here's the formula, here's a format, here's a framework, here's all this kind of stuff that can help guide themselves through that journey. So why do you think going off that, that there is a lack of self-awareness for a lot of people is that they just don't want to ask those tough questions. They're scared of the answer they're going to find. I think every generation has its own uh, confusions or, or reservations or apprehensions. Um, It could be just this generation. We have uh, a lack of, literacy, um, physical literacy, emotional literacy. No one's taught us in school how to how to hone soft skills, how to have emotional intelligence, how to teach someone how to deal with shame and, and regret and loss. Uh, those are the items that are very, very important in today's society, especially since we are so overcome with technology and and being behind a screen we'd rather text someone than call someone those are the things that decrease our inability to be open on a much more heart and soul kind of way so that there are moments where people are very very open and i think that could come off again maybe overbearing for some other people, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Just because there's these invisible walls that people have put up, again, based off of conditioning. Yeah. Kind of programming, right? Yeah, I think so. But they're either maybe scared to look at themselves or scared to see what other people might think of them, which at the end of the day is, is quite freeing, which I think a lot of people mm-hmm. have yet to realize is freeing to be you. Mm-hmm. like the true you mm-hmm. not the you that you think you want to be or you think other people want you to be mm-hmm. but the you that like you're you're destined to be that yeah. you're you're excited to be the person that wakes up in the morning you're like okay julian's living julian's life mm-hmm. right so what got you into 
health and wellness and being that kind of coach and, and mentor? What was, because I think everyone's story when, when they find that groove is always very interesting, mm. right? Either there's some experiences or past moments or just how you grew up. So give us a little insight into how you found yourself in this field. I'd say three, three things that carved my direction. One was uh, the kinesthetic approach to learning. I was very much, um, I need to feel to learn. And that brought me through high school, um, university into kinesiology and exercise science. I really excelled there. Uh, the pathway through my body as a vehicle for learning was the most important for me because that's how I took in information and that's how I applied it. So I had this direct source of information about the human body, about movement, biomechanics, physiology, and I was able to apply it through sport because that's how I exerted myself and that's how I expressed myself. That kinesthetic learning um, allowed me to go into school, uh, Western for kinesiology and then into my career of personal training and group. The second thing that helped really spark my growth into more health, wellness, was my autoimmune disorder. Uh, I have um, atopic dermatitis, so eczema, and it's, uh, it's an inflammation of the skin, and I get sometimes bits of asthma as well. Mm -hmm. And that was quite the life learnings as a kid. You know, you grew up when you're a kid, maybe in your puberty when you started to, you know, like look at look at girls and you're attracted to something and someone and you want to look a certain way. It's very aesthetic based. Yeah. And you have all these rashes on your skin. You have like this redness and this peeling of skin. It's just, it doesn't, it feels the most uncomfortable ever. And you start to define yourself based on how you look because that's what people, perhaps kids or young adults, they perceive the world that way um, superficially. So that's, forced my parents to help with um, health, holistic health. So reaching out to not just dermatologists, but um, naturopaths, nutritionists, uh, alternative methods, light healing, all these things. Um, but it was only until in university where I hit rock bottom, where you know, I adopted the lifestyle first freshman 15, where you like go and party, you gain that extra 15 pounds, you break up with your high school sweetheart <laughs> and you just do it's all like a the handbook. For yeah, you do all the, yeah, totally. You do all the necessary things to grow up to a point to get that university experience. Uh, did you, did you like that aspect? Wow. It was a thing to do. I was a I was a kid who just wanted to belong, mm -hmm. and that was the thing to do: drink, party, and and really not not and not really take hold of life. Just let life take you. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had shingles from that, which was really weird. And I just hit rock bottom, and um, I just then took ownership said I have been given all these opportunities to learn about my autoimmune so I started to invest more time into it started seeing results really quickly uh, and that led me to 
the studies after school into training um, Paul Czech uh, and the Czech Institute. And he's a holistic health guru. He's my guru. I look up to him and I, I've been following his methodologies probably like for 10 years now. And I've been able to cure or manage my own autoimmune disorder with wow. his teachings. And it's all lifestyle. It's all lifestyle based. So what are some of those factors? Uh, well, he has like a, there's, there's a, a six step piece to it. Um, more principles. Um, one love is the first where in order to really exact change or focus on something meaningful in life, you have to have a dream. And that dream can come in many ways, but to really ask yourself those questions, why are you doing the things that you do? Who can you love becoming? What resources do you need to do what you want to do? Those really deep stuff, deep questions. That's, that's the first part. Um, second part is understanding that there's two forces. There's a yin and there's a yang, and there's a necessity for balance. The third piece is three choices. There's three kinds of choices you can make. One choice is the optimal choice where when you make a decision, it fulfills your needs, your inner circle's needs, um, and it really helps benefit the dream, the one love, and it balances, it's in balance with the two forces. There's suboptimal choice, which is it may fulfill your needs, but not your inner circle's needs. So there might be a little um, tension there. And then there is an indifference. Uh, the third choice is just not making a choice at all. So knowing that there's three choices. There's four doctors, Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, Dr. Movement, and Dr. Happiness. And those are the four doctors that you'll ever need to know. Those are the doctors you consult. And I use that as uh, a formula to start off with, um, with my holistic health journey. Um, I needed more... I needed more quiet and I needed to fix my diet. I was moving a lot and I was very happy, but those were the other two that really needed some time. And so my system was very inflamed. So I need to calm it down. Um, those are the four parts. Um, there's five, six other pieces of it as well, um, where it's broken down or expanded upon those first four things. Um, the yang elements are how we move, how we breathe, and how we think. And the yin elements are how we eat, drink, and sleep. So to really give it more structure, those are the pillars of, of how we categorize our holistic lifestyle. Um, so yeah, there's a, that's like a quick just share about all those yeah, all the Czech Institute approach, and there's much more depth to it. Um, but the third thing that um, that has got me into where I am now is um, this sense of, of self-development and also, I would say, like a cosmic consciousness. To think not just about I and not just about we, but think about the all. Mm -hmm. The I-we-all principle, that's another Czech principle i we all and how does what i do serve you serve uh, the community around me and then how can it serve the all 
the world. That's always a reminder that I that I use to help drive my work right now with 2.0. So yeah, those are my three things that's got me here. That's awesome. And out of that, um, the last one you talked about, you touched on, what's the difference that you've noticed? Because I think a lot, a lot of times people kind of get stuck in you know taking care of their business, right? Thinking that that's going to bring them happiness and fulfillment, right? And there's a certain element of that, right? But of course, like you said, the we and the all aspect that we sometimes neglect could be either so we don't have time, we don't have, can't provide the attention, the energy to that. What have you noticed in the difference in terms of like your happiness, your engagement, your stimulation from focusing on the all and on the we uh, that people the, might miss out on? Right. Um, I read this book and I was given this book by our mutual friend, Martin, yeah. um, the go-giver, uh, Bob Berg. And I don't remember the exact five laws, uh, but you can get a sense of what the go-giver is. And that go-giving mentality rather than go-getting has been very, very um, surprisingly um, rewarding. Uh, and I've always had this, but I've never really had the, uh, the words behind it, the framework behind it. So giving as the number one thing is is something that's going to reward you in the back at the end of the day mm -hmm. without expecting it back being a go-getter is saying what you do and doing it and following up with it being a go-giver is under promising and over delivering it's perhaps going the next step beyond what you promise thinking about the other person first uh, thinking about the community around you I think when you remove yourself from the picture and not necessarily become fully selfless because you definitely need to serve yourself. Which is funny. There's that aspect of you know, you have altruism, yes. but at the same time, you, you got altruism. There's like a sense that I'm feeling mm -hmm. good from doing good. Mm -hmm. So is it really altruistic? But you know, it's this funny uh, dichotomy of it all. You got it. Yeah. Um, I think we have to put on our oxygen mask first before yeah. we give it to someone else. Yeah, that's a good example. But yeah, there is definitely, um, I think it's just how the world goes, how the world should go around, and that's a worldview. That's kind of how I would just conclude that idea. Yeah, and even for people just to kind of jump into that, because it's tough to, like I said, it's tough to explain for people to say, like, hey, giving does feel way better mm -hmm. than receiving, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's an element that yes, receiving feels good. Actually, we like getting, we like feeling accomplished and feeling important. That's, that's a big aspect of helping others. Mm -hmm. But then to put yourself in a situation where other people are looking up to you, mm -hmm. and other people can come to you for advice and mm -hmm. other people trust you and they believe in you. Mm -hmm. It's a very powerful feeling in terms of the immediate gratification to the long-term gratification, right? Yeah, like teaching a, teaching a man to fish versus giving a man to fish. I think what's really important nowadays is uh, forget about fish. It's just that teaching element. That's what people are after. They mm -hmm. want to know how that person is teaching that other person how to fish so that they can either do it on their own and also share that. It's a, it's a very prevalent thing. Ideas worth sharing. Ted Talks is all about that. Mm -hmm. So this is the way that the world is shifting towards what's called the connection economy, which is... Seth Godin's work, master guru in marketing, but beyond that, like applied philosophy, 
he's sharing these these shifts in economies where before and even now still and we'll still have to work with it the industrial economy works off of commodities goods and values products services that are exchanged through currency and monetary but a lot of the things that we do nowadays is not about money like this not about money it's purely about our connection it's our connection with ourselves with each other um, with the information and the values virtues principles that we've harnessed over our years and how we share that with more people there's a sense of innate betterment um, a survivalist mechanism within each of us like our lizard brain forces us to survive and protect mm -hmm. what we have but then there's that limbic system where we need to be creative um, to not because we live in a world of abundance and resource so we can afford to move beyond the lizard brain into the the limbic where we can think on a more emotional level for each other where we can provide care for the community and whatnot and then there's that logic brain where how do we plan that further so these three brains and this connection of the three brains will help harness and create a much more not self-serving ecosystem but a universal cosmic consciousness is what i had said before and i think that that, that sort of integration of it all is uh, a product of how we as human beings are evolving. Mm -hmm. So how would you suggest people use their emotional part of the brain to the appropriate manner? Because again, that limbic system can be, when we get too emotional in certain stages, that emotional side of the brain can hinder our personal development, right? We're mm -hmm. emotional, so we react a certain way. We don't do something, we go against the logic. How can we, I guess, better separate in terms of making sure that we're using the logical side at the appropriate time mm. and using the emotional side when it's appropriate, right? Because if you mix those two, it's, it becomes very dangerous. Um, there's this book called Thinking Fast and Slow, yeah. Daniel Kahneman, and it's a matter of behavior. It's making sure that you, when you approach a situation where you're confronted with a situation, you have the, the know-how of not reacting and responding Just thinking slow first and then maybe thinking fast or vice versa yeah. depends on the situation being able to read the situation and the environment will help you navigate the landscape of the situation with more confidence and it's just a matter of repetitions which is funny you kind of say that it's kind of the more prepared you are the better you can kind of balance the two yeah right if you're underprepared it's very easy for that emotional state to take over in a negative way mm -hmm. but if you're really prepared like the emotions those are good things right it's not bad to have uncertainty or fear it's just how we navigate that through our development mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of time and necessity for self-study mm -hmm. So self-development, we're, both of us are definitely self-help, self-development geeks. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what we do. Yeah. And so the more we learn about ourselves through uh, either academia, research, or applied through running ultra marathons, we have dedicated our, ourselves and our time and energy to self-study. And if I could share that with the audience, take that time to not just do it through books and through audiobooks and whatnot, but 
put it out somewhere, apply it somewhere, because that's where we get immediate feedback. When we read a book, we can take it however we need, we can take notes, but there's no actual teacher that's coming to tell you exactly what you need to do based on the context and circumstances of you. You have to go out and create these environments and these laboratories, so to speak, so that you can learn through feedback and see what works for you and what doesn't. I think that's one of the best ways to develop and harness the skill of, of thinking fast and thinking slow. And ultimately, not necessarily to control your limbic system, your emotions, but to better manage them and to find meaning in them. Because mm -hmm. we could react with anger when someone does something to us or when we stub our toe. But it's also an opportunity to, to learn, why am I angry at what that person said? Um, Obviously, being angry when you stub your toe is one thing, but maybe you could learn that like it was meant for something else. I don't know. You can go far-fetched with that stuff, but I think taking the time yeah. to self-study will help with managing your emotions. Right, and I think that goes right into the idea of like embracing discomfort much more frequently. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people they have it backwards in terms of you know pain and pleasure perspective mm -hmm. that. In reality, it's the short-term pain that we put ourselves through is going to create long-term pleasure. And the short-term pleasure can create long-term pain in terms of regret, disappointment, unfulfilled potential. Mm -hmm. So it's taking that perspective and flipping on its, on its head because we're so programmed through life. Anything that's uncertain or unclear to stay away from, right? Pain mm -hmm. is bad. Fear is bad. Like mm -hmm. These things you want to avoid. Mm -hmm. So we're naturally programming our subconscious. It's just taking in all that information that we're like, whoa, this is a situation or environment that's a little bit uncertain, a little bit uncomfortable. I'm taught to stay away from it. Mm. Where the more and more you're seeing, and there's a lot of like now scientific studies backing that up, is that embracing this discomfort allows you to apply the principles that you either read about, hear about, and actually see come to fruition at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, that movie... Uh, where Sadness is a character, you know, that picture. Yes, um... It's a great movie, yes. Look on the little colored. Yeah, and how sadness is one of the main characters to help the the sorry the main character to understand that there is a necessity for sadness. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was just so beautifully illustrated to share our our variety of emotions uh, and to know that every emotion can serve a purpose mm -hmm. and it can also really bring. Um, bring light to the things that we are uncomfortable with. So uh, just how there's polarities and the dichotomies in life, the binary way of thinking, it's that yin-yang force. Without the yin, there's no yang. Without the dark, there's no light. Without yeah. the sad, there's no happy. Discomfort, there's no comfort. When we understand the, those kinds of spectrum-like principles, then we can kind of move back and forth between them mm -hmm. depending on what goes around and what happens around them that law of opposites is a principle that i use quite often when i think about or when i'm when i'm stuck when i'm stuck in a writing moment or when i'm stuck in a conversation i always know there's an answer on the other side and so it's my responsibility to go there and to be curious about it I think that's how we can really investigate um, the fuller spectrum 
of the experience of our emotions. Well said. So what got you into going off of embrace and discomfort or something that you and I both are, uh, are into and we'll be joining forces yeah. <laughs> in August yes. at the Fat Dog in Vancouver, which is going to be super cool. I'm excited for that one. Yes. Um, ultra running. Um, first off, for people that don't know what ultra running is, it's ultra is anything longer than a marathon distance, right? Mm-hmm. That can be 50K, 50 miles, mm-hmm. 100 miles, like we'll be embarking on, uh, or 120, sorry. 20. Yes. yes, we still got the 20 to take care of. Um so what got you involved with that? What got you invested in this crazy? Because again, with ultra running, people don't know, it's crazy. Yeah, it is pretty <laughs> You got to be a little bit crazy to, to start doing this stuff. You got it. I think there was uh, multiple elements. One that comes into my head is uh, reputation uh, as, a, as a fitness and wellness and holistic health and all these caps that I want to put on my head. What is a laboratory that I can use to really share that with people, but also for myself? Like, how do I not get into imposter syndrome where I'm like, well, I wear all these hats and I say all these things. Yeah. Where is a domain where I can really take the information and apply it and really yield the results from it? Because to run an ultra takes everything. It takes the mind, it takes the body, it takes the spirit, the soul, the emotion, the social, the environmental. It takes a holistic mindset and approach to accomplishing one of these things. Sorry, I'm going to cut you off. So you won the sulfur spring. I won the sulfur spring. Yeah, so yeah. I want to make sure people know about that, right? That was, that Reputation, was... yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go out to win it, but I did. And um, that was 100 miles in a caster last year. Uh, and that was my first attempt at 100 miles too. But I, you had said before, prepared. I was very prepared. I knew what I was getting into. I had run... A build up of 100k before, sorry, marathon, uh, 50k, 56, 80, uh, all the way up until, and this 100 mile moment was was a celebration of all of this accumulated knowledge, uh, experience. Um, so yeah, so first thing was reputation. Like, how do I live up to who I want to be? And how do I share that? Because I'm a person who enjoys validation. I really seek that as a human being. Um, I think we all do. Like I think so. Large yeah. portion of that, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You want to feel important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, significance, that thing. Uh, I don't know that could stem from childhood, something like that. Maybe, uh, maybe just wanting to get more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a twin, by the way. Okay. So that could be one thing. We can unpack that later. <laughs> Uh, but uh, re- reputation to make sure that I can fulfill uh, who I am to other people and to myself. Uh, another thing would be uh, the application. Like, where is a domain and laboratory where I can really put out these skills and, and yield the results of them? Um, and that that was really cool because then I started to experiment with, like, what I ate, um, what I drank, at what time, um, how I trained myself physically, so that was another approach. And then the third was curiosity and see how far I can push myself. We all want to know uh, how far we can go, what we can learn, how we can express ourselves. Um, it was a brand new canvas. It was a distance that I felt was very, um, yeah, very unnerving. Uh, the 100 miles. Yeah. Uh, it was more of an opportunity, of course, to learn more about myself. And then also, I think when you've gone down these pain and pleasure rabbit holes, like with my childhood, 
suffering with uh, atopic dermatitis. And, and although it's one of the easier autoimmune disorders, on a psychological level, I think it played a lot on me. Um, you know, to see like just the uncomfortable um, physically. Mm-hmm. I dove into that during my run and my runs and it maybe just helped me reason through it. Uh, there was a level of discomfort that I want to say I enjoyed, but I know that it's there. So yeah, I do you, I don't, do you want, does that get through a little no, bit? No, it does. Absolutely. I think when people go through pain and discomfort, yeah. they have that as uh, an, another ability, you know, it's they a have, resource. It's, it's a resource. It's something to, to use. Yeah. So I don't know what I, what I, use with ultras to go with that but it's definitely a place that i can draw from because i've i've it was an obstacle as a child and i've and i've overcome Mm -hmm. so this is another kind of challenge where hey i've overcome this this and this i can definitely get through this yeah well the life's perspective at the end of the day right so if you put yourself in environments that are super challenging and you come out victorious whatever realm that looks like whether you completed it didn't complete it but you push yourself to the limit to that that extent that transfers over it's not just like i, I think people misinterpret like okay this guy just loves running or loves ultra running or loves playing a sport or loves doing this craft mm-hmm. it's the idea that like what this craft and environment does for us in the real world yeah you got it right it, it transfers over really well into making those everyday decisions easier making the habits that we embark on easier mm-hmm. and to make life easier mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be that stressful when you put yourself in environments where you need to problem solve. You need to find solutions quick. You need to embrace discomfort at its peak level and find a solution that very moment. And the internal dialogue, which mm. I think a lot of people have a tough time with, is that internal dialogue in mm. terms of mindset performance, whether it's at work, in relationships, or in, in a certain sport. That internal dialogue is so um, prevalent and that necessary mm-hmm. to either creating success or creating failure mm-hmm. right when you're put in a situation when your back is against the wall you say how am i going to do this you're asking the questions of how is this ever going to happen why is it me i never get this break you're you're programming yourself to basically set yourself up for failure mm-hmm. right where if you're in this situation where i got another 25 miles to go you need to have that positive internal conversation rather than saying i'm never going to get this done what's the best approach Right, it's yeah. the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset that Carolyn Dweck also hints on, right? Or Carolyn Dweck, sorry. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of more people need to embrace the concept of putting themselves in environments. It doesn't mean go run a hundred mile ultra tomorrow, but do things that are a little bit uncomfortable. There, there are lessons to be held. Yeah, they're like a crash course in, yeah. in life optimization, 100%. human optimization. Really understanding or trying to investigate what your true potential is. And those tests over and over again. It's exciting to see that. Mm-hmm. And it's addicting. It is. <laughs> it is to a point, yeah, for sure. It's not like I I I don't crave it, but I know the benefits. Oh sorry. I mean it. addicting as in terms of like self-optimization becomes addicting. Yes. That you like you like to see what different elements, yeah, I might not be an ultra runner for the rest of my life, right. but I'll find different avenues that yeah. challenge my perspective and challenge what I think I'm capable of achieving right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to something recently and they said we should scrap the idea of, of searching happiness 
um, and redefine what happiness actually is, it's, it's actually progression. Humans, people want progress. They yeah. want to feel progression. They want to feel like they're moving forward. That could be a new definition of happiness. Happiness in some ways is to maybe the A-type person complacent. It's just, you know, here and now and whatnot. Um, but we are never fully, fully present and able to freeze time. I think we're always shifting and moving and changing mm -hmm. within time and space. So, yeah, I thought that was an interesting new way of looking or a way for me to look at what happiness is and striving for that with these kinds of ultra marathon activities. It's that progression. It's that yearning for the next level. Yeah. Love that. That's good stuff. Mm -hmm. And in terms of something I'm very interested in selfishly, your, your diet leading up to your, your training regimen, mindset preparation for these ultras. Mm -hmm. What's, what's the process like? I think anyone that's achieved an elite level status is, you know, like winning a hundred mile or even completing a hundred miles is a huge accomplishment in its own. Um, what are some things that you felt really helped you in your training? Um, I what would that look like, sir? I think a game plan ahead of time. <clears throat> Making sure that you know the course, you read it. You don't have to be super every corner, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But mapping it out so that you have a framework to work with. Um, and then doing all this, the self-study, knowing what my strengths and weaknesses are. Um, Surrounding yourself around the people, the right people, getting yourself a crew, um, whether it be like one or two friends, but not just telling them, hey, can you come and support me? Give them tasks, coach them and say, at this time of the race, I need this. Mm -hmm. At that time of the race, I need this kind of support, this kind of stuff. You really have to do your homework. Um, it's funny because I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I sign up and go, and I'm like, all right. But have you won yet? <laughs> no. So that's, that's, that's it. <laughs> exactly. So so socially, there's there's a way of looking at that. Um, in terms of diet, uh, I know that there's certain brands uh, that really irritate my stomach. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some types of, of, of drinks that I need at certain times and that would be detrimental at other times. Uh, we don't want to bonk. We don't want to hit that point where we cannot no longer take in any more nutrients because our bodies are either overwhelmed mm -hmm. or just cannot absorb or just too tired. Um, there's a lot of that sort of um, mapping and planning and also pacing, knowing how far you can push your system. Your digestive system connects with your nervous system, which connects with your respiratory system and so on and so forth. It's taxing for the body. It takes energy to absorb energy and to put it back out into your muscles and whatnot. So on that level, you definitely have to figure out, not to the numbers, I don't say, but get it into your training where you know what it feels like from, let's say, you know, the first 30K of a run. Mm -hmm. You'll know that you can last all the way up until, and then you require this resource, that resource. So for me, I'm a very intuitive learner, so I need to feel. Whereas other people need to write it down, and they need to write down the numbers, the exact calories. Uh, I have an idea of numbers, but everyone's very personal. Everyone's different. In terms of mental visualization, I talk it over with people. I share it. I share it with a lot of people. 
I tell them about my race. I tell them, here's what I'm nervous about. Here's what I'm looking forward to. So nervous about um, that 80 mile mark because I know every time I hit 80 miles, my mental game goes down and I start doubting myself. Why is that? Uh, I think weird. I, you're so close, right? But there's like yeah, it, at that time. you got it. Yeah, the whole body just wants to shut down and give up. Um, yet there's still more distance, like 20 miles. It's full still marathon. a long time. Yeah, yeah. full marathon exactly. So those are the typical moments that people start to break down and. To get me out of it, it's more social. So I would say I need that validation. I need those words of affirmation from my people. Mm -hmm. So that's where it'll help. If you're doing it all by yourself, well, then you got to make sure you have um, your own self words to yeah. coach you through it. Um, Self-talk is a very powerful tool. Uh, so maybe putting on a script and, and starting to think about it, memorize it. Some mantras are very powerful to get you into that positive self-talk there's something going off that sort of interrupt but like i was remember my canadian death race this year um there's a point i think i had another you know 15 miles to go right and you're just donezo almost and the idea i just kept saying like in my head that affirmation and the mantra was like you have the ability to suffer and i kept saying that over and over mm -hmm. because you're you are suffering you don't you can't hide from that fact but if you can kind of walk yourself through like Graham, you have the ability to suffer just keep moving Mm -hmm. keep moving one more mm -hmm. step one more step and it's just it's crazy how powerful that really can be right yeah because you're you're convincing yourself like no man you have the ability to embrace what's going on right now and you're going to get through it mm -hmm. yeah mine is like go deeper go deeper go deeper or another layer another layer another layer just like an onion or just keep turning the pages there's another page in the book of julian ho yeah that kind of thing so those are the things that i would say to myself that there's just more, there's more, more to unveil. Um, but yeah, there's uh, the physical component as well. Yeah. So this year I've taken a change in how I perform instead of doing um, very uh, bilateral movements, uh, I would do all unilateral, so single-sided movements, um, adding a lot more rotation to the game, planning all of my routines so they're full-bodied, uh, and their sling system chained, kinetic, uh, kinetic chain based. Mm -hmm. So rotating, hinging, bending, pushing, twisting, all these things in a three-dimensional format, trying to hit multiple, multiple movements that turn on the anterior sling system or the posterior sling system and thinking about the body as more of an integrated system that I would need for running, but also for my triathloning as well. So swimming and biking, um, rather than parts by parts, it's all by patterns. Mm -hmm. And that mentality has been a switch over the last two years. Um, I've been working with a lot more elastics, so elastic bands, band training and whatnot. Um, and, uh, much more, sound mobility practice so getting mobility every day so dynamic stretching and whatnot um, but doing it not just like parts by parts hamstrings this hips, uh, hip flexors and whatnot but going through like uh, a big lunge stretch a lunge crescent lunge in yoga is what they call it that's for the hip flexors but adding um the arm reach overhead pressing through the heels of the hand adding a little bit of eldoa which is a french physiotherapy protocol 
that helps turn on the joints. It helps irradiate and create more length throughout the whole system rather than just the one part or the two parts. Um, there's a lot of nitty gritty fine tuning things that can be done in the world of stretch and strength and how we bridge those gaps together. Um, I'm right now developing my own sort of like course or method or whatnot. And so far on, on Instagram, it's just been my, my Kintegrity series or Intelligence. I have all these videos that I put out. Which are great, by the way. I'm yeah, trying, thank I try, you. I try a few of them when I'm doing Yeah, it. and they're a showcase. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know exactly what to call them other than kin whatever, intelligence, integrity, intensity. Uh, those have those are basically themes, and it, people still ask me what is it. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just I'm in R and D mode right now. I'm just yeah. developing it, and I just want to showcase it. Uh, the words and the methodologies, the step by step approach is developing at the same time. So hence why what I'm describing to you right now on my physical practice is kind of abstract mm -hmm. it's principle based so it doesn't have and it's theor theoretical um but it does have testimonial i mean i won yeah my thing and i've been yeah. doing really well yeah. i've been very healthy no injuries so yeah so so far so good um uh, i think on an emotional preparation level um that one going back to the paul check stuff one love one dream making sure that when i put myself out there for this race I know why I'm doing it. I know that it fits into the bigger picture of who I want to become. And that could be one of the most important things. So that's kind of an overall yeah. view without going into the nitty gritty of the detailed line by line points of my training. Yeah. But there are elements there. In terms of miles, how many miles are you putting in for races? What's, what's, your, what's oh. your structure like? Oh, okay. So... That one is a little bit, that's more typical, I would say. Um, so I start out with a long-term plan and I cover, let's say a hundred miles over a month. Mm -hmm. And then I bring it down and I start condensing, condensing, condensing to the point where I'm leading up a month away to maybe two or th within three days, I would cover a hundred miles. So my body feels it. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, the race that we're doing in Fat Dog is not, I can't, we can't go there. Yeah. We can go there and we can train and stuff like that. We can do that, of course, but it's not realistic for me to fly there and train and, and then do it again. Ideally, it would be that. I did, did that for Ancaster. I was able to drive there a few times and simulate and really go through the course. Mm -hmm. That would be the ideal. But in this case, um, planning, I'm probably hitting some mountains um, in. Uh, well, in Collingwood is where we close the closest that we have. Um, I think we might Barton and I might drive to uh, what's that place in the west in the states? It's where eastern states are. Like the there's like a couple mountains over there in okay. the east. Um, but yeah, simulation training is very important. So that's where you can kind of experiment on on food, nutrition, um, drink, mental game, equipment, all that kind of stuff. That's yeah. one of the most important things to simulate the race yeah. conditions. That is one of the toughest things with ultras, right? Because you're you can't you're not going to duplicate mm -hmm. what you do there. Obviously, mm -hmm. you're not going to do a day where you do 100 miles three days out necessarily. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I try to uh, simulate it as close as possible. Yes, right? exactly. so you feel like all right, this is I've I've done this in a variation, right? Mm -hmm. And then the experience obviously following. Um, so tell us more about 2.0 Toronto. Um, okay. Um, 
Your baby. So 2.0 is an ecosystem for personal and professional growth. What it, how it started was there was a necessity, a necessity for collaboration. And I found that growing up in the industry, I didn't find there was a hybrid or movement that helped bring the spotlight to a yogi as it would to a strength and conditioning coach. There was no platform for integration. And I just, I was underwhelmed by what our certifying bodies had to offer. Um, we would go to a conference and we would listen to these experts, but they were still very siloed information. The diversity was great, but where was the mix? Where's the integration? Where's the talking of each other? Like, how do we appreciate what this person has to offer and that person has to offer? And how can we blend them together to help fit what we need? as complex human beings, um, people who are curious. And um, the most important talks that I had were in the hallways. I had great bonding experiences with people just randomly in the washroom in the hallway and like the most, the least uh, curated moments. And those were the spark moments. And I found there was that that really helped add to the bucket that is 2.0 now. Another necessity was I was underwhelmed by TED Talks, Toronto. I just found the same deal. You're listening to these great speakers, mm -hmm. but where is the integration? Where is the conversation, the collaboration? Yeah. And so I thought to myself, I'm someone who enjoys a variety, a variety show. And I also enjoy connecting with the people that enjoy that too. I, we're in this room full of 200 people or more. Where the opportunities, the curated moments to actually bring us together and learn from each other mm -hmm. and reflect upon what we just learned. So from that was born uh, my first event called The Summit. And it was essentially like a TED Talks of group fitness, just to bring the professionals together in different disciplines. Mm -hmm. So you had a yogi that started off, then a Pilates, and then a dance, and then a game of <coughs> conditioning, and then it went to something bigger than that like a strength explosive stuff and it wound down into meditation or something like that. Um, and then it started off with more events and that's what our product, I guess you could say is we share experiences and events, but now we're diving into an ecosystem for professionals and we're trying to create opportunities for more connection the experience, really unpacking the experience of connection. And that's through peer-to-peer -peer coaching, peer-to-peer -peer sharing. And um, right now, uh, we just finished an event called Night Lab, an exploratory investigation into changing up your Saturday night. Um, the remix of Saturday night, the, the typical Saturday is just to dive into your vices and to yeah. end off the night with uh, drinks and being social and whatnot and letting loose. But here's an opportunity to, to restore, recover, regenerate, and do something good for the body, especially someone that works a lot. So for the professional, it's really giving everything they, they have for people um, to give them an opportunity to relax and enjoy their Saturday night in a much more productive way, mm -hmm. um, a wellness-driven way, um, is what we experimented with on Saturday. And it was great. It was yeah. phenomenal. Everyone woke up Sunday being like, oh my God, I feel 
fantastic. I need this more in my life. Mm -hmm. So those are like the examples of the events that we put on. Another example was the one that you attended the Mindshare. That was like an intimate TED Talks where we share, where we had eight, eight, nine presenters that shared their innovations um, to each other with some audience members that passively uh, participated. And that micro intimate and interactive TED Talks, if you will, uh, serves both issues that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. The issue of not feeling that intimacy and that interconnection with the people around me. It also gave me the information from these high level performing human beings. Um, but it was curated in a way where I was able to, where we were able to connect with each other and take in information, not just through lecture, but through demonstration, through movement, through a variety of how we learn. So the long of that was, is 2.0. That's awesome. So now, yeah. how do you, how do you, how can you, I guess, get people to program themselves in a more productive manner going off that? Cause like you said, I love the idea of not just throwing yourself into your vices on the weekend and then losing momentum you've built up. And then it's a struggle that Monday and then maybe you get back on it on Tuesday. And it's just the lack of momentum is what, halters a lot of us right it hinders mm -hmm. our development right because it's so hard to keep pushing that boulder up the hill when you got to start from ground zero again rather than taking those little baby steps mm. and constantly seeing progress and progress how do you go about programming yourself so you are always in line with your vision and your goals mm -hmm. um i think creating a community of people around you like the 2.0 community i surround myself with people that are doing the same thing mm -hmm. that are really into self-development and behavior change and learning about themselves. So when you surround yourself around people that are as invested into optimizing human potential, um, that's one huge motivator. You have people that are climbing the mountain with you. Mm -hmm. That's a way to help inspire you. Um, behaviorally, it's environmental based. So, to set yourself up for success, you have to have the resources around you and the, the easier triggers for positive action. Um, those are the things that I think are very necessary to coax those um, positive wellness-based activities. And then coming back to that dream, like, is this going to serve the person who I want to become? Is this going to serve my best self? Uh, is having this drink tonight going to help improve the experience that I put myself in in mm -hmm. this evening yeah if not then no but it's being able to stop and just assess so um, the Saturday night event to just restore and whatnot depends on the person sometimes people yeah of course they have friends from out of town and they yeah. want to host and they want to enjoy themselves in their specific ways that's not to say like, oh, you guys are out of town. I need to be productive. I'm going to go and do this event that's restorative based. No, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. It's more acknowledging what needs to be done with your surroundings to help enhance the experience so that you can take from it and then move forward with it. In that social situation with friends that don't necessarily op uh, operate on the same wavelength or the same um, pace of yeah. productivity, it's more so your responsibility to communicate that with people. Mm -hmm. 
So if tonight's a night for them to drink and it's not your night to drink and you have to get stuff done tomorrow, just communicate that in the most authentic way. And I'm sure your friends will appreciate that rather than doing it and resenting the fact afterwards or just opting out. Because that's, of course, the three choices. That's being indifferent. Just opting out is not the best decision for them, nor is it for you, because you're going to resent yourself from not spending time. So there's a lot, uh, a lot to consider there. But the first thing that I said is surround yourself around really amazing human beings that are on the same wavelength as you. Um, number two is <clears throat> changing up your environment, making it so that the environment serves you and your Mm-hmm. best behaviors and then third would be uh, awareness and communication communicating to the people around you to yourself what you need yeah i think reducing like like and all that kind of together like that temptation right it's very hard to constantly have the willpower to mm. do the right thing right yeah it's, it's it's over it's overwhelming it's it's not really a winnable battle when you're constantly trying to test yourself against there's temptation right there that I go down that path, right? Mm-hmm. Why not just eliminate that temptation as best as possible? And that can be done whether it's like physically at home, right? You know, if you want to eat better, eat more efficiently, well, you know, you eliminate the temptation of chips and sugary shit in the house, yeah. right? It's, it becomes a lot out easier. Out of sight, out of mind. Right? And it's the same thing with people because it's it's difficult because sometimes everyone's path's different. Like I only really got into self-development Big time. I was a sports guy growing up, and that's all I wanted to do. And then after I got out of university and I got into like the idea of running businesses and and obviously you know, optimizing my potential, that's when I really started diving into like reading a lot more and, and writing. And those are things that I've just done for the last three years nonstop. And it's funny because I was at a 24, 25-year-old Brandon who barely read a book before that, which is just so weird to me. And the past change. That doesn't mean that the friends you have are bad for you. It just means to have that self-awareness to understand like what avenue will these friends provide, you know, mm-hmm. at certain yeah. times and take them and, and, and not be hard on yourself to say, well, I need to kind of go down a different path because mm-hmm. my path's different than their path. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that you're, they're not your friends anymore. Right. Right. If, if there's somebody who's that toxic where they're holding you back, then you have to make that decision to say, mm-hmm. well, this person's Henry, my development, are they the best person for me if they're not and if they're really really holding you back that's a conversation you have to have with them if not then you'll you break bridges right Mm -hmm. but you know i think for people just to kind of understand their environment a bit more and where friend groups and peers can provide value yeah the we have a variety of hats and personalities that we need to serve different characters that we play in life and there's certain friend groups that serve this side of who you are. Mm-hmm. And there are also like long-term friends that I've had that may not serve my development into my 2.0 world, mm-hmm. but they hold, a, they're the key to Julian when he was young. Yep. And there's so many memories there that you, to, for, to let go of that is, is a big loss. Mm-hmm. So to make sure that you carve out time for those people at different at different durations of time. Um, one thing that came to mind um, was perspective and, and framing your perspective is a really important thing. Um, knowing the difference between commitment and rigidity. So with lifestyle and how you manage your vices, like, you know, tomorrow, let's say we on a weekend, it's not that I'm, if I don't, if I go out and drink, it doesn't mean 
that I'm, if there's an opportunity to drink, uh, alcohol or eat or whatnot, um, go beyond my normal, my normal routine. I have to make sure that I remind myself that I'm committed to what I'm doing, like my ultra marathons races and to divide that from being rigid because too many people get too stuck in the world of rigidity Mm -hmm. where they're like, well, this is all about sacrifices and, yeah. and I got to let go of this. And I got to let go of these friends and these bad behaviors and be as clean as possible. That doesn't serve you on a holistic level because there's things that those, those, those experiences can provide you mm-hmm. like happiness. It could have provide you a level of just positive emotion. Um, so to know the difference between commitment and rigidity is something that I had thought about probably two years ago to not be so hard on myself and to know that I have, I have equipped myself with the skills to jump back on the bandwagon as quickly as possible. Or how do I mitigate the impact of alcohol in my system or, or too much food, too much sugar, salt, and fat? How do I mitigate that? I already know how to do that. Mm -hmm. I can pre-eat so I can eat my, I can have, a nice, beautiful, hearty salad or some sort of nutritional shake or whatnot before I go out and have a, a more gluttonous meal. Mm-hmm. You know, then, I, then I'll then i make sure that I'm a little more satiated, that kind of thing. Or when I get home, you know, down a glass of water. Or in the morning, first thing I do, just like a flower or plant, drink a, a liter of water or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe electrolytes the next day to help repair um, there's so many good behaviors that can be done beyond the actual like situation at hand instead of having to drink, oh, I'm only going to drink vodka waters or something like yeah. that. Enjoy yourself. Be open to that experience. Then pre and post, then you can start putting on those good habits. So those are the small yeah. best practices we can learn. It basically goes back to like knowing how to self-manage yourself yeah. appropriately. Yeah. Right, because if you know what's going to really hinder you compared to if I do indulge a little bit and something that's not quite aligned to what you want to do, but does provide value, well, what's the best way to make sure it doesn't it really explode into something where the momentum's completely lost, right? Mm-hmm. And understanding that, right? Or mm-hmm. again, I love eating just like the next guy, but I'll do that at certain instances where I know it's going to almost provide value for me, you know. So I might have a really if I know I'm going to go out that night and eat. I might have a really good workout. I might go a little bit extra on the cardio. Like those things, I'm using that food as like a fuel source too, mm-hmm. you know? And then I'm completely okay with it because I am someone who's, I do always like to think, well, how is it going to help me in some regard, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm to too, too, too much to that extent, who knows? But I'll always kind of think in terms of like, well, how can I make this aspect valuable to me, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes you need that balance. We've been there probably just like yourself where you're, you feel overworked and you're so focused on your projects that you're neglecting certain values that mean the world to you that make you feel connected. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not good for you either, right? Mm-hmm. But to, so to know, well, what is this aspect and avenue going to provide for me and how is it going to help help me manage my day more effectively, right? So mm-hmm. And plan, having multi, not just one plan of action, but mm-hmm. so plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. What happens if plan A fails? Well, you have plan B. What happens if plan B fails? Plan C. So knowing that you have thought about your course of action with multiple iterations for different parameters and different potential consequences, that really helps build your self-esteem and your confidence. So 
for a race. You know, I have a plan A. If it goes all the plan, then great, executed yeah. well. But if this part doesn't go well, then I have plan B. Then I can f fall back onto that. If plan B doesn't go well, then I... So that planning stage of, of training is so important yeah. for the physical, for the mental, for the nutritional, all of that stuff mm -hmm. is... It just helps you better prepare yourself. And of course, you have to be open to spontaneity. Of course. Um, certainty is definitely something we need as human beings. But that uncertainty provides us that those like sparks of learning that we would never get if we were to plan it all. So yeah, you're right with saying balance. You're going to balance it up too. Balance your strategic plan, how you implement and how you execute. But be open. Part of that planning would be give yourself you know, 25% chance for random things to happen mm -hmm. and be okay with that. Yeah. And that's where this, the spiritual part of it, power of now being in, in the present, being in the moment, those are the real cool, magical cosmic things that we got to be open to. And how do you get people to embrace that concept of now? Cause I think that's something that we struggle with all the time, right? You look back in time, we look forward in time. It's mm. very tough to be like in the moment, appreciate, be grateful for what we have, what we're doing. Because sometimes you, know, you overlook these aspects and mm -hmm. your life is really good at where it is right now. You know, you just not looking at, oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. But like right now, life is pretty good. Mm -hmm. How do you kind of hone in on that and keep be, yourself aware? Very. It could be very simple. It could be as simple as closing your eyes and breathing. Mm -hmm. It could be as simple as looking up at the sky and knowing how small we really are. Mm -hmm. It could be looking at your parents and just seeing what they've done for you and knowing that you are nothing without them. Um, it could be just being mindful with your food and eating slowly and just appreciating. Those are the more tactile things that you can physically do to be in the now. I think it's slow motion, slow motion doing not thinking getting out of your head and being more in your body i think that's where it helped me as a kid to learn is to not think about what people thought about how i looked mm -hmm. and not think about how i felt um how uncomfortable it was. it was more so being inward um beyond the skin beyond the flesh beyond that stuff being in the heart the soul very intangible idea and concept to embrace, but it has to be done with, and those more tactile things like eating slowly, closing your eyes, listening to music, mm -hmm. being focused on not doing everything and just maybe one thing at a time. Yeah. Yeah, slowing things down. And making that a constant, right? Making yeah. that part of your lifestyle. It's making it like a non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. That these things are, I'm, I'm gonna do right? Mm -hmm. And it's not that I don't have time for it, but these things are creating more efficient time for myself. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get in the realm where like, I can't do this. I can't do that. I have no time. I got to go do this. But it's like, no, but like you doing this and you embracing the moment, you taking the time to breathe and appreciate where you're at is giving you much more efficient time for your next task or hobby mm -hmm. or project. Yeah. Like meditating. I find it difficult to sit and just meditate. Um, so I do it with my running. Yeah. I I would just run with no music, no nothing, and just 
I, I like having that steadiness of something mm -hmm. going. And so I would say running is my meditation. It's a moment of quiet to myself. One challenge that I'm looking forward to is, uh, is like, is a 10 day silent retreat. I haven't booked wow. it yet, but I'd like to do something like that later on this year as another, I would say challenge, but it is definitely a, a monumental experience just to be quiet for 10 days straight. Um, is that a meditative retreat? I think so. I think people will definitely get to a point where they have to meditate because you can't talk. You can't really do much. Um, it's about quieting. Um, and there is, there is, once learned and honed as a, as a skill, quiet mm -hmm. is a superpower. Just being still, not doing much, not saying anything, just being in time is a very, very powerful thing. And I speak for myself and for many, it's difficult for that. Mm -hmm. Very difficult. That's gonna be awesome though. Yeah, I know. It will. I know. You'll, you'll you'll learn a lot from that experience. Yeah. And come back with a really changed perspective. Yeah, they say they say like Tim Ferriss is one of my yeah. go-to guys, and I think he's he's he warns. There's a disclaimer, you know, you know, be prepared because this could be life-altering for you. You could really go nutsos within the seventh day, apparently, um, or even the third day. You can go. <laughs> or Jesse crazy. Itzler did one of these. Like he claimed which is always interesting to me. He's like, <laughs> the first three minutes or five minutes, he says something drastic. And Rogan's like, what? But he's like, the first five minutes, he felt like he was there for hours. <laughs> he tried like running out or something. <laughs> just because you feel so like just contained. Yes. Especially like, like jail, he, right? He's like a busybody, right? He wants yeah. to create, he wants to design, he wants to innovate. And when you're stuck to just like, no, like this is your destination for the next week, two weeks. It's uh, probably hits you hard. Wow. Yeah. And especially if you're going cold turkey, if you if you don't have a sort of practice like that, that's when it can be really, really um, overwhelming mm -hmm. and, and almost traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just like running an ultra marathon, you know, you wouldn't want to go into it blind. Um, some people, I think, maybe learn that way. They want to test themselves and see where they're at. <clears throat> so... Yeah, and where do you see the next year for yourself? Any, any, anything other than the, the retreat and the ultras? And the, I know you're talking a little bit about some uh, retreats that you're yeah. thinking about. Um, I think this year is a really pivotal year. It's the first time that um, I've started to work with my twin brother. He's in Hong Kong, and Very cool. we're doing, um, we're, we're, we're bridging the east and the west, uh, and the ideas. Are based upon the 2.0 developments which are very innovation based and that ecosystem is spreading so that's one thing that i'm working on is with my brother to create something that's more international more global um, another thing would be personal development developing and sharing the things that i do on a training level so those are the videos that you can mm -hmm. see on my Instagram, seeing how I can package it and, and really harness uh, the needs to fulfill runners. Because I find that runners or endurance athletes, um, they're very typical trainings for it, but my approach is very specific to uh, that kind of athlete. 
in terms of biomechanics and physio, um, but focused on the gym and the resources that we currently have. So that's one thing that I want to try to remodel and, and share it with the world. Um, and also business, um, taking the things that I'm doing and cleaning up some amateur habits and going to a step above and, you know, learning automation, um, learning softwares, learning a lot of best business practice is a thing that um, will definitely take all the things that I've done. And um, that's definitely become quite challenging because as a, as a fitness, wellness coach, educator, um, I see it as, as I always refer to food because mm -hmm. I'm a foodie and I, I see myself as a, a chef, head chef, but to really take what you do and share it with the world in perhaps uh, more enterprise level is to develop those business skills. Um, I've honed my philosophy and I'm still honing them, my principles, philosophies, and practices, but how to scale them is something that I would like to do. And I'm not just doing it because I want to do it. It's because other people have asked and there's a, there's a need, there's a, there's a demand for it. So I'm really, really optimizing myself on that level. And it's very uncomfortable for me to share the business side of things. And just like a chef probably would be, or an artist would be, to share the business of what they do because they don't see it as a commodity. They don't see it as, as a monetary thing. I do it out of my heart. I do it uh, on an altruistic level. I do it uh, to actualize, but I think there's balance to be had. I think there's a, there's a bridge for best of both worlds to make what you do a great business mm -hmm. and, and vice versa, the art and the science. So there's definitely a lot of mountain climbing to be done uh, on that level, but I'm just as invigorated and excited by it as I am our ultra marathon. Mm -hmm. Any challenge that comes its way is worthy. Anything that makes me feel uncomfortable is worthy of, of time and investigation. So that's kind of my development, my self-development moving forward for 2019. It's good. A lot of balance. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's definitely been some, some like, uh, I would say not sacrifice, but trade-offs mm -hmm. that I've had to consciously be more aware of. Um, but uh, because I know that there's that sliding scale of, of how do I balance my, my emotions with the amount of time and energy that I put towards my logic and planning brain versus my social life and whatnot. Okay that shifts and that will always shift with everyone. Everyone knows that sometimes you might not have time to date and go out and enjoy restaurants and culture and that you're so focused on building something. Mm -hmm. Very important. That can override those other things, but there's always a time and place. And I think it's okay. It's okay. It's not. And the now is a good balance with the next. I'm, I'm bridging those two worlds being now, but also focusing on the next mentality what's next with this with what's now that's another bridge that i'm making awesome. this, this year this year and next year big years to come yeah lots of stuff a lot of excitement yeah oh man thanks so much for being on the show
Uh, I said, this was a pleasure. Uh, I'm excited to obviously get running with you and yeah. we'll, have a, we'll have a good time there. But again, you got a lot of great, crazy stuff aligned for you and you're, you're going to do well. Thank you, Brandon. All right, Julian. Thanks so much, buddy. Cheers. All right, bud.